0: But uh, it's good to be here, and and good to hear a little bit of uh, how you're thinking about how to apply the fruits of the Spirit. I mean, what better description, right, of the Christian life, in some ways, of the outflow of what it means to be in relationship with God, to have love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness and self-control. I mean, so many positive virtues, um, when I think so often, people associate what it means to be Christian with um, negative uh, postures we don't do these things we stop doing these things we cease doing those things we refrain from these things but it's this positive outflow of what the holy spirit does right a sense of great abundance and it's important to keep that in mind as we talk about wisdom because i think when you use the word wisdom um there's something slightly musty about it isn't there like yeah like who's a wise like you want to pursue wisdom who do you think you think of like people sitting on some mountaintop very ascetic A little green alien character like Yoda who reverses objects and subjects in the sentence. And they offer these kind of gnomic, difficult to understand uh, comments. But the beautiful thing about wisdom in scripture, as it's portrayed, particularly in the book of Proverbs, is that it's not this elitist, musty, abstract kind of, I'll offer you this little fortune cookie-like statement and good luck in interpreting it. It's actually this generous offer that God makes to us to participate in what he's doing and who he is, so that we live well, right? Proverbs is not, um, it's easy to read the book of Proverbs, particularly beginning um, with chapter 10, as a series of kind of do's and don'ts. Do this, don't do this, live this way. A little bit, you know, Ben Franklin-ish. A stitch in in time saves nine. These aren't the Proverbs I grew up with, so I always trip up on them a little bit. being a, a child of immigrants, you know, that one section, um, around second or third grade, they start to teach you metaphors and similes and proverbs and aphorisms, and they'd always be like, well, you know, like when your parents say things like, you're as slow as molasses, and I just thought, uh, my parents have never said that. I don't think they know what molasses is. I've certainly never seen molasses, but I understand it's a slow food substance, right? And so, um, so th- these statements come a little oddly to me. Um, I'm going to start us off as we look uh, with, at the beginning of Proverbs 8, because I think um, the section that we read today, beginning in verse 22, assumes what comes before. And part of what we need to understand with wisdom that God desires to offer us is that wisdom is the opportunity to live well. It's the ability to make the choice to live well. And it's an invitation which is made to all. So look with me at verses 1 through 11 first. Does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights along the way where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Besides the gates leading into the city, at the entrances, she cries aloud, To you, O men, I call out. I raise my voice to all mankind. You who are simple gain prudence. You who are foolish gain understanding. Listen, for I have worthy things to say. I open my lips to speak what is right. My mouth speaks what is true, for my lips detest wickedness. All of the words of my mouth are just. None of them is crooked or perverse. To the discerning, all of them are right. They are faultless to those who have knowledge. Choose my instruction instead of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Wisdom isn't um, merely a function of age, though age gives you the opportunity to gather wisdom. But we all know people who've lived long and lived poorly and have demonstrated their foolishness. Wisdom isn't just accessible to those who retreat off to a monastery somewhere meditating all day. Um, Instead, what you have in these first 11 verses is God profligately inviting everybody to respond to the invitation of wisdom. Wisdom shouts her invitation from the highways in verse 2, the throughways where everybody is passing. And in verse 3, she shouts her invitation and invites people at the center of our places, or commerce and government, at the city gates, right? Because at the city gates, the leaders of the city would gather, they'd sit in the alcoves, and they would conduct business together, which is why when um, Boaz goes to redeem the field that used to belong to Naomi's husband. You'll remember he goes to the city gates. And there he finds the relative who actually owns the property. And in front of all of the elders, they make their plea. And so what wisdom says is, look, at the most trafficked areas of life, in the midst of the busyness that you experience there, in the places where you do your business and where you make your judgments, where you socialize, wherever you are, I'm inviting you, come pursue me. Get to know me and discover me. She invites all people, she says then in verse 4. To you, women, I I raise my voice to all mankind. This is really good news, isn't it? In so many religious traditions, wisdom is reserved for those who can set their entire lives apart for its pursuit, who just wander off apart from the world, apart from the things that we do. And then you go to them as sages. Right? You seek them out as um, people of unusually deep character. And at some point, what I think begins to happen in those traditions is um, those of us who don't live in that way, those of us who are obligated actually to have jobs, to have relationships, to actually do work day by day, assume that, well, you know, those are the wise people. And when I have a problem, I go to consult them. When I have a hard decision, I'll go talk to them. In the immense generosity of our God, what he seems to suggest is no matter where you are, no matter who you are, you have the opportunity to pursue wisdom, to live well, and to live rightly. Because I've revealed it to you in the scriptures that we study, but on this side of the cross, preeminently, because I choose to indwell within you. But the Holy Spirit himself is beginning to change our character, and change our posture, and change our minds, hearts, and souls, so all of a sudden, the laws become alive in our hearts, and we're beginning to live well. And wisdom says, look, I'm offering you this invitation, and it's important that you respond, right? Because my invitation is right, true, and just. It's an invitation to what's good. And that's really, I think, what you gather out of verses 6 through 9. Look at the um, the terms that she uses to describe the wisdom that she's offering, it's something that's worthy, it's something which is right, it's something which is true, it's not wicked. It's just and avoids crookedness and perversity. Um, it's discerning, and those who are right understand it. And the faultless really know that this is wisdom. It's, and she says, look what a great thing I'm offering you. It's not a abstract. It's not merely a set of principles. It's a way of life which is good, righteous, true, and just. And it's incredibly valuable. It's far better than anything you could own because it helps you decide how to live and how you will manage what you own rather than allowing what you own to manage you. The pursuit of life isn't just the acquisition of things. It's living well so that whether in great abundance or scarcity With great opportunity or limited opportunity, we're making the kind of choices which glorify God. The invitation is made to all. The invitation to wisdom is also necessary for all. Um, Look with me at verses uh, 12 through 21. I, wisdom, dwell together with prudence. They're roommates, evidently, of a sort. I possess knowledge and discretion. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior, and perverse speech. Counsel and judgment are mine. I have understanding and power. By me, kings reign and rulers make laws that are just. By me, princes govern and all nobles who rule on the earth. I love those who love me, and with those who seek me, find me. With me are riches and honor, enduring wealth and prosperity. My fruit is better, though, than fine gold. What I yield surpasses choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness along the paths of justice, bestowing wealth on those who love me and making their treasuries full. If the imitation of wisdom is made to all, it's actually necessary for all. Um, Again, we often picture wisdom as something really esoteric or mysterious, but instead, wisdom uh, reflects moral excellence because it starts with the fear of the Lord, Um, as it points out in uh, verses 12 and 13. Uh, To fear the Lord is to hate evil, and I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. I dwell with prudence and possess knowledge and discretion. What's interesting to me as you talk about wisdom is that we actually live in a world which um, downplays the need for wisdom and celebrates the need for information. Right? I'm very, it's very obvious, like when I drive to church, um, I come off of the Parkway, so I always pass the IBM Research Center, which is, which is a wondrous thing. I, I, just think, I, I think of technology as this really magical, mysterious thing, which I know makes all the scientists sad. But the only way I can understand my computer is to assume tiny little fairies live inside and are making it all happen. <laughs> Because believing in like electrons moving along little silica chips, making all these things happen, is far more fantastic to me than the idea of little fairies or elves. <laughs> it probably reveals far too much about my personality that I've said that. Um, but right, we live in a world which is really obsessed. And I suspect some of the work, at least at the IBM Center next door, is um, with uh, the speed of acquiring and uh, processing information. Right? It's all about search engines, algorithm optimizations, and decision trees. Um, Google just released a study which said um, if between the time you type in your search and you hit Enter, if it takes longer than an eye blink, people begin to lose interest <laughs> in the question they wrote themselves <laughs> on the subject of which they're curious. Right, They, they have to answer it less than an eye blink. It says something about the nature of our society now, the impatience and distractibility with which we have. Um, it also tells me a lot about how we glorify information and downplay wisdom. Right? If you look at the curriculum in which we train our children in our public schools, um, how many tests are focused on wisdom, living well, making good choices, versus regurgitating information or processing information they already have. Now, let it be said, right, I, I love information. Data makes me incredibly happy. Um, it, it strikes me, though, you can be very smart and still a fool. And I, you know, we're in a political season, and man, every day on the news. <laughs> isn't it displayed over and over to us? Very smart people living very foolishly, saying foolish things. Um, and when I look at evil behavior and perverse speech are not a part of what wisdom is, it makes me despair uh, as I think about the election. And it makes me, it's interesting to see how often people want to demonstrate how smart they are. Um, but what would it take for us to actually pursue wisdom? Um, and the problem, I think, is if you read just the beginning of verse 11, um, it would be easy to assume that wisdom is knowledge. right? Um, I, wisdom, dwell together with prudence. I possess knowledge and discretion. But wisdom is actually grounded in the fear of the Lord, because it says, I possess knowledge and discretion. And this is what knowledge and discretion looks like. right? It's the parallel statement to that. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior, and perverse speech. What's really interesting is it takes um, cognitive knowledge, and it says moral development and intellectual development go hand in hand in the pursuit of wisdom. In part, I think, um, because... uh, Um, Ideas have consequences. Knowledge actually creates responsibility. To say that you know something is true, but if you don't actually live that out, it's clear you don't understand that it is true. Right. So I know it's true that if I exercise, I will live better. I will live longer and be more productive. But it's clear I don't actually believe it to be true. Because I live in constant denial of its truth. I actually think if I, um, uh, well, with me, it's mostly twitch while I sit in meetings, um, occasionally get up to go feed myself a little bit more, um, and walk a little bit, uh, that I've accomplished something. But if I knew it to be true, I would, I would build in time into my life. Um, wisdom is not craftiness just living a little smarter, a little bit more efficiently, like the websites would help us to do. It's not a time management technique or a life management technique. It's living in such a way that the moral excellence and beauty of the Lord is reflected in the way that we live and make our choices. Um, And that's why, in part, one of the primary beneficiaries of wisdom, according to this passage, are, are the people who rule us. Or it should be, right, in verses 14 through 17. If counsel and, salt and judgment are mine according to wisdom, and I have understanding and power, by me kings reign, and rulers make laws that are just. By me princes uh, govern, and all the nobles who rule on the earth. Um, these people need wisdom to govern well and to govern rightly, to steal what comes from a little bit later in the passage that we actually read. If God created the universe by wisdom and invites us then to be his agents in the world, then the agents who are accomplishing God's tasks should live in such a way as to reflect the wisdom of God. That's why, actually, character does count. People's past behavior still should influence our present choices about what we do with them um, as our leaders and as our rulers. Not that there is not space for forgiveness, reconciliation, but the reality is um, I know from interviewing people for ministry jobs, any of you who do job interviews know, um, we are amazingly wise and smart people, hypothetically. <laughs> but in a good job interview, those of us who do that know um, it's terrible to ask questions like, what would you do in a situation like X? Because um, if you do that with me, I'm both smart enough to know, well, if you ask the question, I know what your concern is. And then I will shape my answer to it. And like I said, hypothetically, I'm brilliant. Hypothetically, I also live in an incredibly wise way. So I exercise well, I eat well, I sleep well, I pray constantly. I'm amazingly loving to my family. Uh, my wife thinks I'm an incredible servant, and my children think I'm nurturing and fun. And one day, we'll play with them athletically. right? I mean, it was, hypothetically, it's all true. The best way to know what I'm really like is to actually examine my past behavior. So when you interview people, what you do is you interview on, based on past behavior. Tell me about a situation where X has happened, and what did you do? Because the best predictor of future behavior is what you've done in the past. Save thanks be to God for the interviewing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Um, but uh, rulers need to rule by wisdom. And it goes on to say the benefits of wisdom are immense. And this is why it's necessary, right? And the description of wisdom's fruits is a description of the life God blesses. Um, look at verses uh, 18 through 21. With me are riches and honor, enduring wealth and prosperity. Um, my fruit is better than fine gold. What I yield surpasses choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness along the paths of justice, bestowing wealth on those who love me and making their treasuries full. Right? If you look at those, that language of honor and prosperity, righteousness and justice that occurs uh, before, um, this is, these are examples of what a life that God blesses looks like according to the Old Testament. Um, but what wisdom is really key to point out is even though You experience the blessings of God when you live wisely. You have prosperity. You have um, peace. You have righteousness and honor. I'm still more valuable than all of that, right? Um, If the fruit, uh, if with her are riches and honor, her fruit is still better than gold. And it's still better than fine silver. Um, and, And the reason, right, is, um, the products of wisdom are more valuable than the material gains it may offer you. Because your actual life circumstance may change, but the character shaped by wisdom does not. It really grows deeper, stronger, and richer. Well, if wisdom is invi- an invitation to all, and it's necessary for all, we'll come out of the passage that we read earlier. Um, the imitation of wisdom actually applies to all. It's not just all are invited and all would benefit, but it actually applies to all because it reflects the ordering principle of the universe. I trust when um, our sister read that passage uh, in Proverbs 8, beginning verse 22, part of what you were struck by was the grandiose language um, and the grandeur of the language that wisdom applied to it herself. Or in uh, the poem that was read beautifully as well. Uh, listen to them again. And how wisdom positions herself. The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works before his deeds of old. I was appointed from eternity, from the beginning before the world began. When there were no oceans, I was given birth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before mountains were settled in place before the hills, I was given birth. Before he made the earth or its fields or any of the dust of the world, I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundaries so the waters would not overstep his command, and when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was the craftsman at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind. Right, Wisdom... um, positions herself in this passage as, when God created, I was partnering with him. I was the one who, with him, made this world beautiful and delightful, orderly and understandable. I was the one, as he was creating things, provided some of its structure and its shape. Um, God created with wisdom, not just alongside of him, but as an expression of who he is and what what he does. That's in part why the structures of wise living are actually built into the way that God created the universe. Let me suggest two implications of this. One of which is living wisely, living biblically, living in ways which reflect who God is, are actually good for us because we're really living according to our manufacturer's specifications. <laughs> um, we were designed this way, and therefore when we live this way, we will. Benefit. Now, I'm not very handy. Um, Actually, I'm kind of anti-handy. I'm more likely to destroy than to build, and more likely to damage than to fix, Um, in part because my mind just doesn't work that way. And also, my dad's also really not handy, and so I have no real experience to speak of. So to be honest, like walking into a Home Depot is like the most disempowering experience I have. Because I walk around, and I'm like, I don't understand. It's like walking into a foreign country, and I'm like, I don't know what these words mean. There are all these mysterious tools. Um, It would be safer to let me do surgery on people than to repair plumbing, I think, because I've studied biology. Um, Part of the problem also in my lack of handiness is um, not only do I not know what I'm doing, but I don't own any of the right tools. And added to that, um, I'm a little lazy. So even if I had the right tool, but another one's right in front of me, I will try to make it work with the thing that's in front of me. Now, those of you who are handy at this point are just horrified, right? Because I violated every law of handiness, right? Use the right tool. Use it in the right way for the right purposes. And I'm just like, I don't really have the right screwdriver, but I wonder if this butter knife would do. (laughs) Well, the problem when you use a butter knife instead of a screwdriver is you tend to destroy the butter knife. And you tend to destroy the product that you're using. right? Because you aren't using the tools that were designed to accomplish the things that they were designed to do. And that's what um, wisdom is getting at in partially describing her participation in creation. When we don't live wisely, we aren't using the tools that we were given for the things that they were designed for. And we damage both the tool and the thing that we're trying to fix. And I think this is critical because when we talk about biblical wisdom, so often I think we think of it as like this terrible, onerous problem. That we're going to lay on to people. If we're really honest, right? So, as Dick was talking about outreach, I hope some of you were like, this is fantastic. And total editorial, I had no idea what they're gonna say. I love the idea of you all reaching out to small groups. I mean, there's, it's what we do with InterVarsity, right? Small groups of people who reach out to the people who are already close to them, and invite them into a network of existing relationships. How much easier and better could it be? Because you're delightful people. But I think part of our, um, Fear of reaching out is not just what we'd have to talk about religion, which is uncomfortable. But you know, if we actually invite them to become Christians, then they're all these things are gonna have to start doing, and we feel bad for them almost, right? Like if they're promiscuous, they're gonna have to stop doing that. And I think they're really enjoying themselves, and they're gonna have to use their money differently. And man, like they're gonna have to like not be mean to people, and like they're gonna have to restrain all these terrible impulses. And I think the negative way we perceive what wise living, godly living looks like actually hampers our evangelism and threatens our outreach. What we fundamentally believe, though, is if you live the way that God invites us to live, it's a better life. Not just morally better, but it's actually physically and practically better for us as well. Right? Study after study shows, who are the most sexually satisfied people? The people in long-lasting, healthy marriages. Because when there's commitment, and when there's trust, and there's longevity and shared life experience, it's far better than the casual fling. They're more satisfied in what they do. Right? Um, every study has shown people who um, do the things that, well, those of us um, who've chosen to eat well, right? We've laid off some of the junk food. We're avoiding some of the unnecessary sugar. At first, it's kind of like, ah, the food just isn't as tasty. After like a month or two, what all of us have realized over time right, is, I couldn't go back. The other food tastes horrible to me now. Right? It, tastes, it, it doesn't taste real. It doesn't taste living. It's heavy, it weighs me down, it makes me sleepy, it doesn't bring me life. I've even been told that people who exercise (laughs) actually feel better. Now, I don't understand this personally, because when I exercise, I'm so desperately trying not to pass out from lack of breath that I do not feel better. And afterwards, I feel exhausted and tired. But I've been told that people who exercise consistently over time feel so much more energy. And when they don't exercise, they actually feel like they've lost something. To me, it's like a, a sense of relief. When we live wisely, our bodies, our hearts, and our souls actually respond with joy and delight. I wonder if part of what we need to do is repent of a belief that wise living, as described in scripture, is actually a burden on people rather than um, the way to freedom for us. Let me say also, just as a total aside, um, If God created the world with wisdom, created the universe to reflect his wisdom and his intricacy and design, then I think something that Peter mentioned is actually really true. Um, Ecological stewardship, then, may rest for us not only because of God's ownership and the creation mandate, right, fill the earth, subdue it, steward it for me, but it also reflects the reality by which God created. The world reflects his... um, Wisdom and everything does fit together in a system which works together to accomplish the purposes that He designed the world for, which is to create a place for life to flourish, and human beings to flourish as we represent God's, um, as we represent God's rule here. I love. I don't know if it's still there because you know your bathrooms have all been changed, but I um, and whenever I use the bathroom here, what an odd statement uh, from a pulpit, <laughs> but um, I love the little sign that used to be on the bathrooms which said, you know, be aware anything you pour down. Um, into the drains here, right? Goes into the watershed, which provides water for um, dozens of millions of people further down the stream. And I, and that just that caught my attention the first time I preached here. And um, several weeks later, I was speaking at intervarsity conference up in the, uh, up in the Adirondacks with students, and um, they were depressed because it was raining, right? Because they were they wanted to go outside and play. And what I said to them, it it, it didn't really encourage them at all. But you provoked me to think it, um, which is, I know that. Our fun is being diminished because it's raining today here in the Adirondacks, but this means life-giving water for everybody lower on the watershed later this summer. Let's praise God for that small thing, right? Part of it was God created with wisdom, it all fits together. What's interesting about the language of wisdom in this passage is not just that she created with God and that she's reflected in God's creation, but um, This grandiose grandeur of the language has led some people in some traditions to treat wisdom as kind of a separate goddess, participating with God. Right? She's the firstborn. She did everything with God. He made it with her. Um, I think this is probably a mistake. It's better to think of her as the personification of wisdom and just saying, God created with such wisdom and beauty. It's like wisdom was there uh, working with him. And it's clearly a personification, given the cheap delights that are being offered by the contrasting woman of uh, folly and temptation, who you really meet throughout the Proverbs as well. But I think the instinct to suggest that wisdom is divine isn't completely wrong. And it finds its place not in a separate goddess, Sophia, but in the person of Jesus, the word, by whom and through whom and for whom all things were created, according to Colossians 1. Uh, One of the commentators pointed out John 1, uh, verses 1 through 4, when in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, right, in all things. Um, Maybe the best exposition of the passage that we heard read to us today. Um, And that's really the impulse, I think, that drove John, was um, the Stoics use this term logos to mean the overarching rational thing that keeps the universe comprehensible and understandable. And John takes that language and says, actually, that's the wisdom and the power of God. And when you see the wisdom and power of God, you see Jesus. And in Christ, all wisdom is hidden as uh, the verse um, that I think we saw on the screen earlier today showed us. And in 1 Corinthians 1.24, it points out he actually is the wisdom of God. And part of then what we believe is when you see the universe in its grandeur and its beauty and the things and the ways that's created, you have an opportunity to see Jesus at work. And I know I've said this here before, but for me as a student, it meant every time I opened a chemistry or physics or biology textbook, um, it was like I was opening up a worship manual. Because those manuals, if you learn to read them well, these textbooks, and not all of us do, and I certainly struggled at times, um, beyond showing how things work, they show the beauty of how things work. And I can't read a biology, chemistry, or physics textbook occasionally without (laughs) stepping back and saying, OK, beyond the math, uh, which I don't understand, What I see is beauty, and when I see beauty, I see something of God, and I see something of Jesus. And that's why I think verses 30 and 31 are actually critical for us as you think about wisdom. Wisdom says, then I was the craftsman at God's side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world, and delighting in mankind. Words like wisdom and prudence from verse 12 or discretion or counsel or sound judgment um, in 14 and 15, again, right? have that air of restraint, repression and sobriety about them. Nobody I know who's described as prudent strikes me as somebody who we ever think of as fun. <laughs> but in contrast, wisdom delights. Wisdom rejoices. Wisdom celebrates. And instinctively, I think we actually know this. right? Because when you have a problem before you and somebody who's wise talks to you, your response isn't, oh, how burdensome are your words from your mouth. But when somebody gives you wise advice, isn't your first response, the universe has opened up again. right? The doors have opened up. The windows are free. And I can move ahead. And there's space again in the world. We know that's true. I wonder, what would it be if one of the criteria for identifying those people who are wise is those who live delightfully? Because when we live wisely, we live in a way which is truly human, the way God intended us to live. And when we live that way, God delights in us and we would experience his delight. That's why I think, actually, um, the best selling genre of books in the United States are how-to books, mostly self-help how-to books. I wonder if part of what we need to have better how-to self-help kind of books would be a massive infusion of books about aesthetics. Books of poetry, books of pictures, cartoons, things which bring us joy and delight. I think that's why your instinct when you said, I went to that granite quarry and man, I saw the beauty of God there and I worshiped and celebrated, that that's part of what wisdom entails, right? What did it mean to live rightly at that moment? It wasn't, oh, what would be the best color choice for our kitchen? That's very important. The wise choice at that moment was to say, oh, the beauty of the Lord is in front of me. This is holy ground. I'm going to pause and worship. I wonder as, as we pursue wisdom, to what extent do those aesthetic issues, truth and beauty and goodness, right, the types of things that Paul encourages us to set our mind on, how do those things shape our calculus in addition to, as a companion to the practical issues of prudent stewardship and safety? The wise choice facing you individually and for your church corporately may not just be what's the wise, prudent, stewardship-oriented thing to do, but also what would create beauty and joy and delight as we do it. Not because we have to motivate people to do it, but because that's what wisdom actually would produce. What if our lives were marked by joy and peace? Oh, wait, aren't these the fruits of the Spirit? How surprising. Because wisdom is actually the pursuit of listening to God's voice, responding to his invitation, allowing him to work within you to allow you to make the choices that are called before you. And what Paul reminds us is when the Holy Spirit is fully at work within you, then joy is natural. The tree doesn't labor to produce the food in a calculated way, it's the outgrowth of what's naturally occurring as the Holy Spirit works within us. And then all of our disciplines are designed to prune and to shape, to increase that fruitfulness in our lives. Wisdom uh, ends the passage in 32 through 36 by inviting us to partake of what she has to offer, and she offers us life. Right? Whoever finds me finds life and receives favor from the Lord, but whoever fails to find me harms himself, and all who hate me love death. Um, Come and partake of what I have to offer, she says at the beginning, at the end of this passage. Then you will live. It's interesting because if wisdom really foreshadows the person of Jesus, um, then the offer. To come and partake and live leads us to reflect the greatest expression of the wisdom of God, which is the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord. Do you want to know what a life well lived looks like? How that's shaped? Then it isn't through a series of how-tos or seven habits which help you do this or 14 little principles that do that. It's actually shaping our lives around the wisest man who ever lived, Jesus Christ allowing his life, his death, and his resurrection to shape who we are and how we perceive the world and how we proceed in it. Because if anything, Jesus strikes me as an incredibly joyful man. We often think about um, his direction and his focus, but uh, I also think about um, how frequently parties occur around him. How frequently people delighted in being healed and being set free. How he brought enough joy that even in the darkest times, people continue to reflect who he was than what he was about. Wisdom offers an invitation to us. Come, partake for me so that you have life. Jesus offers that same invitation to us as we take communion together. Come, follow me, shape your life around me, and you will have life. And so let me pray for us and then hand it back to Dick as we begin to move toward communion together. Lord, I thank you that... um, For most of us, the burdens of choice that we face are actually the burdens of blessing. Um, We have the choice of good things to choose from. And we know that most of our brothers and sisters around the world um, have very few choices indeed. And so we need wisdom because you've blessed us, because you give us opportunity to make choice. Um, And so Lord, help us to choose wisely. Help us to choose as you would choose, so that you would be glorified and we would be delighted and the world would know and see that God is at work through his people. Meet us, we pray, as we come to your table, um, remembering that at the cross we see the wisdom of God revealed. Amen.